0: How capitalism works and where it came from. That's going to be our topic today. Um, When we look at our own society and around the world, we see so many problems that it can feel overwhelming. There's the pandemic, ecological destruction, constant threat of military conflict, worldwide inequality and severe poverty, racism and sexism, displacement and homelessness. Confronting any of these problems can seem like an enormous task, let alone all of them. But in fact, none of these issues are isolated. All of the major problems facing us today stem from the same source, the capitalist system. What we mean by capitalism is our entire global economic, social, and political system that we live in today, uh, where the vast majority of resources that humans need to survive are privately owned by a small minority class of people, and the very purpose of that ownership is to make a profit, enriching the minority class of owners. Capitalism was not the first society to be divided into classes, where a minority enriched themselves at the expense of a majority they ruled over. Once societies were divided into classes, starting around 5,000 years ago, this became the norm among uh, the world's dominant civilizations. In a class society, One large group does the producing while a smaller group benefits from this and makes decisions about how to distribute and use what's produced. This is exploitation and it works differently in every system of production, but those basic facts have remained the same. And in capitalism, we see this exploitation take the form of wage labor. For a simple illustration, let's say you get paid $20 an hour And you work eight hours in a day. So before taxes, you're paid $160 for your eight hours. But you know perfectly well that you've made your boss more than $160 in that amount of time. Why else would they hire you? Through your physical or mental exertion, you add, say, $200 worth of value to the company's product or service in those eight hours. They pay you $160 for your eight hours and keep 40. There's their profit. You're compensated $160 for $200 worth of work and never see the $40. That's the exploitation. Your boss might treat you nicely or poorly. It doesn't matter. It's just a mathematical fact. You've been compensated for less than the value of your work. If you were compensated for the entire value of your labor, there would be no profit whatsoever, and the whole purpose of being hired in the first place would disappear. This is the exploitation in capitalism. Every part of the economy, every link, in every supply chain works this way farm labor, resource extraction, refining, transportation, energy, customer service, IT. So in this way, the capitalist who owns the means of production, whether it's the Tesla factory or the meatpacking plant or the McDonald's drive-through, they extract value from your labor for their profit. And In this way, the capitalist class as a whole accumulates profits partly to enrich themselves, but mostly to reinvest back into the system to extract more value and generate more profits and remain competitive with one another. By the way, it's worth pointing out that though small businesses still exploit workers, getting more out of them than they pay them, they are not part of the capitalist class. They often are struggling just to stay afloat as the real capitalists look for ways to crush them and put them out of business. Anyway, getting back to our look at wage labor, Uh, so your boss has a variety of expenses to pay, but labor is unlike any of these other costs. Labor is the only expense that can be exploited. It's the only cost of production that can be adjusted in order to squeeze more value out of it. So to return to our example where you're paid $160 in a day for $200 worth of work. Let's say your boss needs to increase their profits to stay competitive. They can extract more profit from you in one of two ways. They can pay you $150 instead of $160 for your $200 worth of work and get 50 out of you instead of just $40. Or they can tell you to work harder to keep up the pace Uh, If you want to keep your job, you can't be a slacker, be a team player, yada yada. In other words, your boss can squeeze $210 or $220 of value out of you in the same eight hours and still pay you the same $160. So this is the basic relationship at the center of capitalism. The purpose of ownership is profit and exploitation of the working class is the only source of profit. But this relationship isn't eternal and natural. It hasn't always existed, nor did it just pop out of nowhere. So how did this particular system of exploitation come about? How did we end up with these two major contending classes, the capitalist class that controls all the value in society and the working class that generates all that value in exchange for a wage? The capitalist system of production evolved in Europe beginning in the late Middle Ages, when the dominant system of production in Europe was feudalism. There were a variety of social classes who played different roles in society, but the vast majority of people were peasant farmers, most of whom lived and worked on farmland, which was owned by the other important class, the ruling class of feudalism, the nobility. In the feudal system, the exploitation was not through wage work. Instead, the noble lord owned the land and would make the peasants give up a portion of what they produced for the right to live there. Most peasants were bound to the land by law and tradition as serfs. They could not leave, but couldn't be kicked off either. But in addition to the peasantry and the lords, there were also the city-dwelling middle classes. These included craftsmen, merchants, and bankers, the most successful of whom would eventually form the emerging capitalist class. Starting in the late Middle Ages, a number of key changes took place. Over time, the capitalists were increasingly gaining control and influence in the economy as the merchants expanded trade around the world through colonial expansion and the slave trade, and bankers increased their wealth and influence as they financed these activities. But the capitalists did not have real political power. The control of the state was still with the nobility and their king or queen, who still controlled the land, set laws, taxes, and more. So then in fits and starts over several hundreds of years of revolutions and civil wars, the capitalist class overthrew the nobility and took political power. And as they did so, they reshaped society to better fit their system of accumulating wealth, eventually leading to the Industrial Revolution, which could not have happened without these changes. The traditional bounds on land ownership were broken. It could now be freely bought and sold. And the peasants who lived on the land could be kicked off, as the land was developed by more profit-minded owners who increased agricultural productivity and figured out how to grow more with fewer people. All the land that had been previously reserved by tradition for peasants to sustain themselves, known as the commons, was broken up and incorporated into the new system of private land ownership in a process known as the enclosure movement. Picked off the land and now denied access to their means of subsistence, peasants were forced to come into the cities in droves providing just the new source of labor which the capitalists needed for their workshops and trading ships. They had no choice but to sell their labor for a wage and then be entirely dependent on the market to consume all the necessities of life. So the wage worker was born. Marx called this new class the proletariat after the ancient Roman term for people who had no property. Marx referred to the phenomenon of people becoming wage workers as proletarianization, a phenomenon we continue to see today as small farmers across the third world continue to be forced by one thing or another to migrate to the cities desperate for work. And proletarianization doesn't just happen to peasants. At the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, small craftsmen who owned their own tools and their own little workshops could sell their wares on the market and be their own boss. But eventually, they couldn't compete with the capitalists who could employ dozens of wage workers and could invest their huge profits in machines to be more, even more productive. So the, the craftsmen would go out of business, sell their tools, and get factory jobs. Fast forward to today, uh, your small business went belly up because you can't compete with Amazon. No problem, Amazon's hiring. How many industries have there been over the decades where high school independent professionals find themselves replaced or absorbed by corporations? In this way, the variety of social classes that existed previously are increasingly lumped into one of two contending classes, the capitalists who own and run things and the proletariat who work for them. So that's how the feudal system of exploitation was replaced with the capitalist system of exploitation. Now let's take a look, uh, closer look at how this change set up so much in our modern world, which we take for granted. The capitalist transformation of society changed every aspect of life. Since capitalism has this positive feedback loop of constant economic growth based on competition and increasing productivity, the capitalists had to reshape the world around them to make every part of it serve profit. Profit became the new center of society in a way that it never had been before. For example, with industrial capitalism, the concept of loitering appeared for the first time. As far as the capitalists were concerned, the only time workers should be away from work where they're productive and profitable is when they were at home eating and sleeping and making babies so that there would be continued to be functional workers coming to work every day. If you weren't doing either of these things, if you were just homeless or drunk or out about without any business, then you weren't being productive, so laws were introduced to criminalize such behavior. With so many people crowded into urban areas and without a guarantee of finding work, naturally people get creative to feed themselves. Urban crime goes up. For the first time, the ruling class needs to have full-time professional law enforcement on hand to protect their property. This full-time professional law enforcement gets more sophisticated and more heavily armed as workers in the factories start resisting their exploitation and it becomes necessary to use violence to keep them productive, hence police. Capitalism brought us the phenomenon of a permanently unemployed population. It is more profitable, at least in the short term, to produce more with fewer people. As mechanization pushes workers out on the street, these people provide another crucial benefit to the system as a surplus army of labor desperate for work, which helps keep wages down. Not working fast enough, watch out, there's always someone out there ready to replace you. Meanwhile, public education was consciously designed to train future workers from a young age to obey directions and complete tasks in strictly timed intervals. Gone were the days of getting up at sunrise to do the day's farm work, sitting down when you're tired, and going to bed at sunset. To be a good worker, you need to learn how to read a clock, how to keep working until your break time, et cetera. With the advent of electricity, the capitalists' factories could run 24 hours a day, and we get for the first time humans who sleep by day and work by night. The development of public education was also about introducing skills into the population, which capitalists require of their workers. Unlike feudal serfs, wage workers need to know how to read and do basic arithmetic. As industries evolve and higher skilled workers are required in certain areas, education provides a way to keep the labor market flooded with more workers than you need at each skill level, maintaining the surplus labor and driving down wages. Remember Obama's big drive to make coding and STEM a standard part of public schooling. Tech workers might be among the highest paid proletarians today, but their relatively high value is only temporary. They too are becoming increasingly proletarianized. Now again, the only way for a boss to increase their profits is to increase the ratio of work they squeeze out of the workers and the wages they pay them. And there's a natural limit to how far this can go. The boss cannot pay the worker less than whatever it costs the worker to stay alive. Just enough for the worker to rest and consume just enough calories to keep working day after day and to make babies and have just enough to feed those babies so they grow up to be workers. Otherwise, the working class could not be reproduced and would be killed off by the capitalist system itself. This is what Marx called the cost of the social reproduction of labor. It's the fundamental minimum wage of the capitalist system, though in extreme cases of high unemployment wages can drop even below this level to what you might call starvation wages. But anyway, capitalists can try to keep this number as low as possible by making the fundamental necessities of a worker's reproduction as cheap as possible. This means the capitalist transformation of nutrition As a wage worker, any hour left in the day that isn't for working or sleeping, you have to intake as many calories as possible. You also require constant stimulants. Coffee and tea, which until the Industrial Revolution had in Europe been a luxury for the upper classes, became a mass-produced necessity for the proletariat. The more wage workers there are, and the harder they're worked, the higher the demand for unnutritious, high-calorie food and stimulants. The higher the demand, the more the industry grows and the cheaper these things become, further driving down the cost of the social reproduction of labor. Think of how cheap it is to sustain a labor force on Red Bull and Doritos. What about healthcare? Well, the biggest source of illness and death under capitalism are the stressful and strenuous environments in which we live and work. Imagine a farm worker and their exposure to chemicals and being in the sun all day. They have higher rates of cancer or a bus driver who is sitting all day. No surprise, they have higher rates of obesity, back problems and diabetes. Here, the real problem is not their cancer or their diabetes. It is the nature of their work itself. Humans did not evolve to do repetitive tasks eight hours a day. In other words, to cure the ailments of a worker would require the dismantling of capitalism itself, the source of those ailments, and obviously that's not an option for capitalism. So hospitals are built and planned around keeping the working population just well enough to keep working. Healthcare is typically built around treatment of symptoms, not root causes. And this is how we get the pharmaceutical industry, as most of us experience it. What about childcare and domestic work? Women play a crucial doubly exploited role as wage workers and unpaid childcare providers, cooks and domestic maintenance workers. It's this unpaid work that sustains the working class and rears the next generation of workers. It's no coincidence then that feminist movements have been least successful at transforming the lives of the most exploited women because it's in the most exploited sectors of the working class that the subjugation of women remains most useful to the capitalist system and the continued uh, social reproduction of labor. But people didn't take this transformation of society lying down. With the birth of capitalism, we have the birth of the class struggle. Workers push back against the level of exploitation and misery the system imposes on them. In this struggle, the capitalist class has a variety of methods to pit one section of the working class against one another uh, against another. Uh, racism, sexism, and xenophobia are capitalists' most basic tools, and they've become the experts at the game of divide and conquer. This brings us to immigration. Immigration makes the working population of an area more diverse, which on the one hand can be a strength to the working class as ideas and experiences shared across borders are enormously valuable in the class struggle and can help build international ties. But immigration also provides capitalists with opportunities they can exploit through xenophobic rhetoric or doling out special privileges to certain groups, encouraging resentment and distrust among workers immigrants are often also more desperate for work, providing capitalists in the area with new, cheaper, labor, ready-made with the costs of their social production as workers, such as education, already accounted for in their countries of origin. By the way, it's worth pointing out that what drives people to immigrate in the first place has everything to do with the capitalist system as well, whether it's recessions, war, climate change, or the plundering of the third world. The competition at the center of capitalism is what drives such things. As capitalists compete and increase the productivity of their enterprises to try to dominate the market, eventually they end up producing more than the market can bear. Over time, this makes enterprises less profitable, leading banks to divest from that industry. This makes the industry even less profitable because you have less funds to invest in increasing productivity. This means those businesses have to cut back on how much supplies and materials they buy, which hurts the businesses who supply those materials, leading banks to divest from them too. This this cascading effect that causes the economy to collapse every decade or so is what Marx called a crisis of overproduction. We call them recessions and depressions. And it's just one of the many contradictions at the heart of capitalism that make it unstable. For capitalists to maintain competitive in the market and attract investment, they always have to increase productivity. Increased productivity risks flooding the market with more product than it can bear, so you always have to be searching for new markets. This is one of the things that drives the constant expansion uh, the constant expansion of capitalism. Capitalists rely on the military might of nation states to back up this expansion and to go to war when the expansionism of one country's capitalists runs up against the expansionism of another or runs into resistance from those being colonized. Uh, just compare American and European oil companies uh, control of Iraqi oil wealth before and after the 2003 US invasion. Capitalists of some countries may find ways of cooperating with one another for profit for certain periods, but global markets and access to labor and resources tend to be dominated by just a handful of countries who will not give up their dominant position without a fight. At the same time, sooner or later, the expansion of less dominant countries, capitalists, will lead them into conflict with the dominant powers in order to continue their pursuit of new markets. This was Germany, Japan, and Italy in World War II, um, and some might say that this is potentially China in the future. Wars are also useful to capitalism by providing a constant market for arms production. The great thing about weapons is the more you sell around the world, the more countries around the world seem to need them. So the wars and military conflicts that we have seen without pause in the 20th and 21st centuries are not anomalies, but are all permanent features and fixtures of this system. Capitalist production also, of course, requires a constant influx of cheap fuel. This brings us to carbon. Whether it's coal or oil, carbon as a cheap fuel source has proven indispensable to industrial capitalism, and as long as there's any left in the ground, the system cannot afford not to keep exploiting it. And petroleum isn't just used as a fuel source at every level of the global economy. It also produces cheap byproducts, so the economy is full of petroleum products. From plastics to pharmaceuticals to pesticides, chemicals, and fertilizer, oil is at the center of every major industry before you even get to shipping and transportation. So regardless of the warnings and alarms by scientists for decades, we have seen the extraction and expansion of fossil fuels and the constant rise of carbon emissions with all of the warnings either ignored at best or denied at worst. This guarantees catastrophic climate disruption as long as the capitalist class is allowed to stay in political and economic control but capitalism doesn't just destroy the environment through the carbon emissions that are causing global warming and with it rising ocean acidity. Production has to keep expanding and every corner of the globe has to be exploited for greater profit. So we see habitat destruction, which not only contributes to climate disruption, but also disrupts vital ecosystems, which contributes to cross-species virus transmission. Capitalism also sets us up for epidemics in the way it has transformed agriculture. Factory farms with highly concentrated populations of animals with low biodiversity are breeding grounds for novel viruses, since every aspect of production is built around the maximization of yield and the effort to dominate the market, as opposed to the animal's actual well being. Meanwhile, since our healthcare system is built around profit as well, with hospitals pushing to employ the smallest possible staff to do the most possible work and building nothing that isn't going to be used right away, we see how unequipped our system is to face a pandemic in terms of staff, ventilators, and ICU beds. So what do we do about all this? I started by saying how overwhelming all of these problems are. All capitalism can offer us is more misery, more exploitation, and an accelerating countdown to environmental destruction and collapse. Obviously, that is not a future any of us can accept, and we have to work urgently to resist this. It is possible for humanity to organize a society in the interests of all democratically, eliminating forever the private ownership of resources for profit. But in order to make this happen, the working class will have to begin to tap into the power that capitalism has given it. The entire production and all of the distribution and maintenance and basic functioning of this system relies on workers. And in that power of running the society lies the power to take control and organize society in a conscious way in the interests of all. This is why Marx and Engels said that capitalism creates its own gravediggers. And that will be the subject of next week's discussion.